This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. If they survive, baby sea turtles born along southwest Florida's coast will spend 20 to 30 years exploring the oceans before returning to where they first hatched to reproduce for the very first time. The most common sea turtles to nest in this part of the state are loggerheads, but leatherbacks and endangered green and Kemp's Ridley sea turtles sometimes nest here as well. Sea turtle nesting season runs from April 15th through October 31st here in southwest Florida, which means it's beginning to wind down. So on today's show, we're going to get an update on how the season has gone. We're joined by members of the Sanibel Captiva Conservation Foundation's Sea Turtle Program to learn about their volunteer-driven monitoring efforts, which have been ongoing since the 1950s. I spoke with them yesterday. Let's hear that now. Kelly Sloan is Coastal Wildlife Director at the Sanibel Captiva Conservation Foundation. Kelly, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Jack Brizoza is a biologist with the SCCF. Jack, thanks for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for having us, Mike. Andrew Glinsky is a research associate for the SCCF. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. And Sherry Hollis is an SCCF volunteer extraordinaire. Sherry, welcome to you as well. Thank you, Mike, and thank you for inviting me. We invite you to join our conversation and connect with your fellow listeners on WGCU social media. Find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And on Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. So, Kelly, let's start with you. When does sea turtle nesting season begin and end? So here in southwest Florida, sea turtle nesting season officially starts on April 15th. Uh, we usually start to see the turtles show up late April, and they'll keep nesting until early August, typically, for loggerheads. Uh, but they continue hatching through October, even into November sometimes. What kind of sea turtles are most commonly found <laughs> nesting on beaches in this part of Florida? You mentioned loggerheads. I know they're fairly prevalent, but what else might be out there? Yeah, loggerheads are by far the most common sea turtles that we see nesting on our beaches. But we are seeing more and more green sea turtles nesting on our beaches as well, which is exciting. Um, and we occasionally have leatherbacks. In fact, last year we had a leatherback that we named Genonia nest several times on Sanibel and Captiva. And sometimes we also have Kemp's Ridleys, very rarely. Real quick, you said nests several times. Does that mean they can lay more than one clutch of eggs in a single season? Yeah, exactly. So each sea turtle will lay a nest about every two weeks, depending on the species. And they can lay about three to five, even, even more than that, nests per season. Are Southwest Florida's beaches considered prime you know, real estate for sea turtle nesting, or is the East Coast more prime? Well, sea turtles do nest in much greater numbers on the southeast coast of Florida, central southeast coast. But we here on Sanibel especially have really great nesting habitat for sea turtles because the city of Sanibel and Lee County work really hard to um, keep the lights off and keep furniture off the beach at night and encourage people to fill in the holes so that the sea turtles don't get trapped in there. So tell us a little bit about the sea turtle program there at the SCCF. So sea turtle monitoring on Sanibel actually started way back in the 1950s with Charles LaBeouf and his group, which was called Coretta Research. So it's one of the longest running sea turtle programs in the country. Um, and we have a lot of great nesting data, thanks to him and his team. And we go out every morning with the help of over 100 volunteers and look for new sea turtle nests. When we find them, we'll locate the egg chamber and we put a screen on top to keep the predators out. And then we'll stake it off with those yellow stakes that a lot of people have probably seen and check it every single day until it hatches, and then we'll go in and see how successful the nest was 
uh, we also have a research program. So Andrew and, and a lot of us are out at night actually working with the nesting females to try and little learn a little bit more about the threats they're facing in our area. Is the program uh, only focused on Sanibel's beaches or is it also you know broader than that? Well, SECF works on Sanibel and Captiva, but there are people monitoring, monitoring just about every beach in Southwest Florida. Uh, Jack and Andrew, I want to hear where your work fits into this monitoring puzzle. Jack, let's start with you. Yeah, so some of my uh, responsibilities here within the program include training some of the new volunteers on how the monitoring aspect works and some of the different details involved and, and how we we are compliant with our you know permit regulations and in, in the work we do regarding uh, these endangered species. I coordinate the volunteer program, so I help with the uh, the scheduling of volunteers and, and the participation and kind of being the, the point of contact with them. I'm also out on the beach um, as well. So, you know, during these trainings, of course, but also just, um, you know, there's some some staff days we're out there doing the monitoring. You know, I try to help out as ni- at night and with the different research projects as much as I can. Um, and then outside of that, uh, just generally kind of trying to take care and, and assist with some of the, the data management and organization and some of the reporting that goes on towards the state. Uh, Andrew, what about you? Hi. Uh, yes. So, uh a bulk of my job revolves around going out at night. And uh, so when we're out at night, we're monitoring the beach, looking for sea turtles that we're going to be measuring and tagging. Um, uh, also part of that job is a lot of it is training interns and some uh, new staff members and how to properly collect data and how to follow the uh, state guidelines and permits. But um, we have a few separate research projects going right now. And there's a lot of samples that we collect both for our research projects and also for the state of Florida as well for for their research projects. So a lot of it is just making sure we're doing everything by the book and making sure our samples are organized and that um, we're just keeping track of all the turtles we're seeing and all the equipment that we're using. Sherry, how long have you been volunteering with the SCCF? Um, I think I've been with them now for four years. What is the role that you play as a volunteer? Currently, I am a permittee. Uh, When I started out, I was a walker. And basically, when you are a walker, you are assigned a specific zone and a specific day. And you're the first set of eyes out there on the beach. You walk your zone, you look for new crawls or anything that's threatening. Like they mentioned before, furniture left on the beach. You pick up trash, you fill in holes. And you report to the permit T. So I decided I wanted to do more. So I spent my last year working with Jack doing the training and I'm a licensed permit T now. And just to be clear then, so permit T means you've you've satisfied certain conditions, which lets you get closer to the turtles and, and work with them in a more direct way. Correct. We also, we get to drive the vehicles on the beach, but we patrol a larger area and we identify crawls and nests versus a false crawl where there's no nesting that happens. We um, identify the species of turtles. And once we decide that it is a nest site, we are allowed to find the egg chamber and screen it from predators. And we also get to inventory the nests once they hatch. We do daily nest checks. We look for any threats and it's just the greatest volunteer job there is. <laughs> no, it does. I mean, c- certainly some early mornings, I would think, right? 
definitely, definitely. Some hot days, some rainy days, but yeah, it's a great, it's a great volunteer job. Um, Jack, about how many active nests are you guys keeping an eye on right now out there on Santa Bell and Captiva? Uh, nests right now in the season that we currently have incubating are going to be uh, right around about 300, probably a little bit less than that. But um, certainly we've, we've, you know, over the course of the season, seen a lot more laid than that. Um, it's just at this point, we've had a lot of nests that were laid early and have hatched. So um, right now, yeah, we're, we're probably around um, high 200s, close to 300 currently incubating. How many would be incubating at the peak of season? Um, boy, at the peak of season, we're, we're probably somewhere, you know, at any given time, there's probably somewhere where we have nests in the six, maybe pushing 700 range, you know, in total. For this year that have been laid, we're probably, I think we're around 925, 926 total for 2021. Um, and as I mentioned, some of those, you know, the, their incubation time is anywhere from, you know, usually 45 to 60 days. So some of those that were laid early, as Kelly mentioned, they start laying maybe, you know, late April. So some of those have already certainly gone that amount of time and, and hatched and then been inventoried, as Sherry mentioned. So you know, in total, yeah, somewhere around 925 or so during the peak, probably around six, 700. And, and then now we're, we're looking to be around about 300. How has this sea turtle nesting season compared to recent years? And if you've been collecting data since the 50s, you know, where are we at now compared to historic numbers? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's, it's really exciting to look at how the data has changed over the years because, we are seeing so many more nests on Sanibel than, than we did back in the 50s. Uh, last year, we had a record year. And this year, we're really, really close to that record. I don't think we'll break it, but we'll be really close. Um, so it's encouraging to see those nest numbers going up. And it's a testament to all the concerted conservation efforts that have been happening for decades. Can you link the conservation efforts to greater nesting? Or will a certain number of turtles wind up on the beaches every year, regardless of the monitoring? It's tricky. Sea turtles have an interesting life cycle. You know, they don't nest every year and they lay multiple clutches per year and it takes them 20 or 30 years to reach reproductive age for loggerheads at least. And so it's really hard to draw direct connections. But, uh, you know, I think certainly we can say that the turtle excluder devices that were implemented in the fishing industry have made a tremendous impact on the population and definitely nest monitoring efforts to, you know, helping to keep the predators out and, and relocate nests when they need to be moved and things like that. Andrew, I'm going to aim this one at you. So how long are the eggs in the sand from the time they're laid until the babies are crawling out? So the incubation period can be around, uh, 45 days, give or take, and that can change due to a whole host of different environmental factors. So if we're getting a lot of rain or if the temperature is, is a little bit cooler, sometimes it can take a little bit longer, but on average around 45 days, uh, give or take. What are the biggest threats to the babies as they hatch? As they hatch on, on Sanibel, I would say the biggest threat would this year would would be um, storms so just the nest being washed out or being inundated by high tides uh, things like that can can cause the eggs to stop development or just totally wash out the whole nest 
So if a, if a tropical storm or a hurricane were to come in and just completely inundate it with, with salt water, would that be enough to you know, make the nests no longer viable? Uh, it depends, really. Like some nests, we do have some really good data on nests that did get washed over and, and flooded and they still hatch. But there are some where they get really soaked and then the eggs don't uh, do as well. Uh, Sherry, what should someone do if they see baby turtles hatching while they're at the beach? Oh, they should call our sea turtle hotline. And they should and stay away from yes, them. I, stay away from them, I presume. Yeah, they know what to do. Nature tells them what to do. But yeah, they should definitely call the sea turtle hotline, and one of the uh, staff or volunteers will go out and uh, make sure that they safely make it to the water. If they see them heading the wrong direction, is there any sense in trying to move them, or are you even allowed to touch them if you're not permitted? No, you shouldn't touch them, and that's why calling the uh, hotline is your, you know, you're going to get the best results there, and you're going to have the right people doing the right things for them. If you're just tuning in, sea turtle nesting season is wrapping up around this time of the year, so we're getting an update on how season went here in southwest Florida and what the monitoring efforts are like. Our guests today are Kelly Sloan. She's Coastal Wildlife Director at the Sanibel Captiva Conservation Foundation. Jack Brizoza, he's a biologist with the SCCF. Andrew Glinsky is a research associate. And Sherry Hollis volunteers with the SCCF. Have you seen any sea turtle nests this season or had any close encounters with them out in the Golf. Join the conversation with us and fellow listeners by finding us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And on Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. So do sea turtles, in fact, always return to the same beach where they were hatched? So they do generally come back to the same region. Sometimes the same beach is where they hatch, we think. And there's a really cool research study going on in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, where Dr. Brian Shamblin is um, looking at eggs taken from every single nest laid, and he can assign their genetic ID, basically. And so he can see where all these turtles are going to nest, where they're laying each of their nests. And some of them come back to the same exact spot over and over and over again. And some of them use all three states pretty regularly. And we kind of see that on our beaches, too, when we're out at night. The tag turtles sometimes come back to the same spot over and over, and sometimes we'll never see them again. Is there any understanding of how they navigate back to the same beach? You know, uh, what what is the means of being able to do that geography? We think they're using the magnetic field, which is really cool, along with maybe some celestial cues as well. What if the beach is no longer there? Yeah, which could happen easily, given that it takes them so long to mature. So I think they probably just go to a nearby beach. Hmm. So how long does it take them to reach uh, sexual maturity? For loggerheads, it's, we think, about 20 to 30 years old. So they're out there swimming around for 20 or 30 years, and then they return to approximately the same location to lay eggs. Right. It's interesting to think about, and only one in a thousand of them is estimated to make it to maturity. How does mating work? Do they do that out in the ocean? Is that something that happens on land? They do it out in the ocean, yep. The red tide that's been persisting off the coast, it's worse north of us, you know, but it is present down here. How has that impacted the sea turtle nesting season or how does red tide affect sea turtles? Somebody else can can take it if they want, but we do have a large scale research project going on to answer that question right now, actually, because, you know, the 2018 red tide hit us really badly down here and 
we saw a lot of dead and sick sea turtles washing up on our beaches and we're trying to learn how it might affect the nesting success when the sea turtles might be holding the brevitoxins in their in their body and if they might be able to uh, transfer it to the hatchlings actually. Uh, Jack or Andrew, can you uh, flesh out the program or the research project a little bit more? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I guess the, the project starts with we collect blood samples from nesting females. And so we'll take this sample um, after they've completed their um, egg laying process. So we're not disturbing them. And then um, we'll we'll send the blood samples out to be tested for toxin levels, uh, the red tie toxins, and we're also looking at eggs that did not hatch. So after the nest has come like full term and the hatchlings have left the nest, we'll, uh, we'll go and exhume the nest, count the contents of the nest, and then uh, take uh, some eggs that are no longer viable. Uh, additionally, if they're, um, and so we'll look at the eggs and then also any um, kind of deceased hatchlings in the nest as well and try and determine their toxin levels. Hmm. What are the greatest natural threats to uh, grown sea turtles? Yeah, so so sea turtles, really any life stage, face um, a multitude of different threats, um, specifically the adult stage. You know, there's all kinds of different factors, um, things such as uh, habitat loss, you know, which we touched on a little bit briefly when you when you talked about, well, what if a sea turtle matures and then the nest is no longer there? Certainly with sea level rise, um, with a seemingly increasing number of you know, tropical storm events and just um, coastal erosion, um, you know, things like habitat loss are a threat to, you know, fully um, mature sea turtles. Of course, there's predators in the ocean as well. Sharks um, can certainly prey upon uh, sea turtles uh, at any life stage and, you know, including large two, 300 pound adults fishing. So things such as bycatch, you know, ghost nets. So entanglement issues um, are a big threat to large adult sea turtles as well. Um, so there's a whole host of different things. Lighting can even sometimes be an issue. We see that a lot with the hatchlings, but it can also disorient adults as well um, who are trying to come onto the beach to lay their nest. So yeah, there's a lot of different threats they face and um, it's one of the biggest challenges in, in sea turtle conservation for sure. You know, it occurs to me, as you said, sea level rise, you know, I guess sea turtles have to lay their eggs in sand or do they? I guess let's start with that. Do they, they have to lay their eggs in sand on a beach? Uh, yes, absolutely. So for the, for the nest to be, um, you know, productive for those eggs to incubate and, and hatch out and produce hatchlings that are uh, fit and ready to, you know, make their way and, and hopefully mature into adults. Um, those eggs need to be in sand. Uh, they cannot, they can't be laid in the water. Um, the eggs will essentially drown at that point, which is sort of what Andrew was alluding to a little bit earlier when he mentioned the washovers, you know, those eggs are porous, the eggshells are porous. So that allows for gas exchange. And certainly they can endure some washovers, as he mentioned, but um, inundation for any length of time. So, for instance, if those eggs were laid in the ocean and they were just floating, that's taking on too much water where the eggs essentially drown at that point. So, yeah, that's a that's a huge issue with um, the potential loss of nesting beaches. Well, and that, what I was thinking was, is we know, different municip- municipalities, different areas of the country, you know, beach renourishment happens. And you think of beach renourishment as being more about the tourists or the people who want to be on the beach. But beach renourishment must be important in the sea turtle nesting equation, right? Yeah. And actually, we have a beach renourishment project going on on Captiva as we speak. And um, it does. It provides 
sandy beach habitat for them to lay their eggs on. Um, and, and we're doing a research project right now, actually looking at that too, to see if, you know, different sand characteristics uh, might impact hatch success and emergence success and, and embryonic development. Um, we're almost out of time. I wanted to bring Sherry back in. You said this is a great volunteer opportunity. Um, you know, how can other people become volunteers? Do you have a, a, a need for as many as possible? Or maybe, Sherry, you're not the best person to answer this, but try. Um, yeah, Kelly's probably better with that. But I know that we had a wait list. And the, I mean, the best way to check out your opportunity is to just contact SCCF and whether you get on a wait list or you know, just express your interest and see if they're needing volunteers. I mean, I assume we constantly have people that are, you know, no longer able to do it. We have, you know, older people that don't want to walk. We have newer people that are interested in it. So yeah, I think just contacting SCCF is the, the best way to go there. And just last question, I'm going to direct this, well, whoever would like to answer this. Is there any way to predict what next season might bring, or is it just a new season every year and what comes, comes? That's a really common question, and there's no way to predict what's going to happen, really. That's one of the most exciting things about each season is that you just kind of have to wait and see what the turtles do. Well, that is all the time we have for the show today, but I want to thank our guests. Kelly Sloan is Coastal Wildlife Director at the Sanibel Captiva Conservation Foundation. Kelly, thank you for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. And Jack Brizoza is a biologist with the SCCF. Jack, thanks to you as well. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you. Andrew Glinsky is a research associate with the SCCF. Andrew, we appreciate you being with us today. Uh, thank you for having me on. And Sherry Hollis is a volunteer extraordinaire at the SCCF. Sherry, thanks to you as well. Thank you, Mike. Have a great day. The Sanibel Captiva Conservation Foundation Sea Turtle Hotline number is 978-728-3663. You can find it and links to more information about their sea turtle program and more information about sea turtles in general on our website, wgcu.org gcl. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by Tara Calligan. Our director is Richard Chinqui. For now, thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is NPR for Southwest Florida 90.1 WGCU-FM, Fort Myers, Naples, and Port Charlotte, and 91.7 WMKO Marco Island, a member-supported service of Florida Gulf Coast University.